can't believe I'm still in jail. This is crazy. All this because I was trying to fly out to see Spears in Orlando and I have a minor disagreement with the flight attendant and then Johnny Law has to get involved. Beat the crap out of me. I'd do anything to get myself out of this mess. Anything? Holy crap, the devil? In the flesh, Mr. Williams, or shall I call you B-Rad? <laughs> Vanity really is my favorite sin. In any case, I've got a deal for you that will set you free. You mean I'll get out of jail and I can go home? Just jail, not from Florida. That's a whole different hell and I'm not in charge of it anymore. I have one of my many demon minions running the show there. Enough about your problems. Can you get me out of jail? Okay, first sign here. Ah! Why'd you poke me? So you can write it in blood, of course. Oh my gosh, could we get more tropey? Fine, El Diablo, of course. Then, initial right here. Okay. And don't forget to read the fine print. Fine print. Hmm, let's see here. I, B-Rad the Doomed, vow to co-host a devil-themed podcast for our 666th episode on the Stuck in the 80s podcast. Said podcast will have no seggies because those are too heavenly. Really, Lucifer? Too heavenly? Except the backward song challenge. I adore that one. Yeah, of course you do. It figures. Okay, it's all signed. Uh, do you have a Band-Aid for my finger? I'm also, I'm surprised you don't do these contracts online now. It's so much more efficient. We're in Florida, remember? Hmm, gotcha. Now go get started and tell Spearsy that I'm hopelessly stuck in the 80s, too. <laughs> Welcome, I guess, to the very gates of hell. It's Spearsy, still alive. Still not officially associated with any demonic forces. And it's Brad in LA. I'm doomed to live a life of dark servitude, but for you folks, it's worth it. And this is episode 666 of Stuck in the 80s. Well, there's this episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by... Well, it's also sponsored by... The 80s Cruise! Join your Stuck in the 80s hosts along with MTV VJs Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown in spring 2024 for a week-long trip on board the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Performers will include 38 Special, Air Supply, Soft Cell, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Bach, Stephen Piercy of Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena Easton, Wang Chung, Midnight Star, Anna Motion, Real Life, Escape Club, When in Rome, and more. And we have a promo code, and it's not El Diablo. Use the code STUCK, that's S-T-U-C-K, when booking, and you can get $200 of cabin credit. You must be a first-time 80s cruiser to use that code, and you got to use it when you book. Go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. Do it soon. The ship is 95% sold out. Greetings, mere mortals. I have to say I'm a little intimidated about today's topic. Um, after all, it's probably the first time we didn't get to pick it ourselves. 
That is right. It is I, Lucifer, who has commanded this show. So let's get to work, shall we? He's a hell of a taskmaster. No pun intended. So for good luck, we've brought along another pal. It's Chuck Coverly. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks so much for having me back. (laughs) Hope we brought some sunscreen. It's going to get hot today. (laughs) I just brought up an extra pack of weenies. Oh, I'd love to be an after my So it took us 18 years. But we have arrived at episode 666. And through consultation with, mm, let's just call it various anonymous sources, we've come up with a plan of action. We'll be doing three lists of our top six picks of devil songs, top six devil movies, and the top six devilish headlines from the 1980s. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay, then. So I guess we have to do top six songs about the hell and or the devil. I, I got to admit, guys, I'm a little bit of a disadvantage here. I was not – I am not, uh, nor am I likely to become a, much of a metal fan or a hair metal guy. So – Well, lean I, into this, Steve. My very soul <laughs> hangs in the balance. <laughs> Some of these songs are obvious picks. Um, some are not. But it's we've got six of them as uh, the Dark Lord commands. So here we go. Number six. That is To Hell with the Devil by Striper. Any either of you guys big Striper fans? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware of the Striper. I recognize yeah. the costume when I saw it on the 80s cruise a few years back. Yes. It's been done a couple times, and every time I see it, I go, huh, Striper. Yeah. Checks out. <laughs> so, I mean, most casual fans of the 80s know it's a Christian metal band. Um, to Hell with the Devil was the name of their third studio album, it was the first Christian metal album to get to platinum status. So nice. tell me that's not a work of dark forces. I'm telling you. So um, the, the song title makes sense then. Yes. Yes. They're rejecting the it's devil. like the most hell with that most... guy. He sucks. He's a dick. <laughs> hey, he's still listening, okay? Don't get me into too much hot water. <laughs> this I didn't know. Striper takes their name from a Bible verse, Isaiah 53.5. By his stripes we are healed. And then I'm told that it's also an acronym meaning salvation through redemption, yielding peace, encouragement, and righteousness. It's it's like the Paga, isn't it? Pagan, the pagans in um, yeah, yeah. Dragon people against <laughs> people against the goodness and goodness and nice, normalcy. Nice normalcy. <laughs> Norm- <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Number five. Out of the Devil by Motley Crue. Well, this is this is. I, th- I think everyone has to agree this is an obvious pick, right? Oh yeah, and, and certainly everyone remembers this. Song. Oh yeah, Shadow of the Devil was written by Nikki Six, the bass player in the band's uh, biography, aka The Dirt. Um, it said that Six was exploring Satanism at the time, and he wanted to call the whole album uh, "Shout with the Devil." Shout with the Devil. Hmm. Okay. So. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> it was 
Shout at the devil, still pissed off parents worldwide. Um, but as he told Entertainment Weekly in 2015, it has always been a song about pushing back. Mm. So there you go. Yeah. It can be, it can be about the perceived enemy at the hand, the devil inside, or someone on a wobbly campaign trail. Anyway, we move along. Number four. Yeah, so um, this is The Devil Inside by In Excess, and it was the second single from that Kick album, which was their multi-multi-platinum album that elevated them to international stardom. And guess what? It was one of the close but no cigar number two songs, and it was so evil that it took two good songs to keep it out of the top spot. That was Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car by 80s cruiser Billy Ocean, and Where Do Broken Hearts Go by Whitney Houston. So um, there you go. I was on a God and Devil phase there in excess lead singer Michael Hutchins said a lyric and uh, suppose that it had to do with chaos of everything. You know, you can put it in religious terms, suppose the devil is chaotic. So every time you think of something's right, he comes in and just screws everything up was kind of the idea for that. So this was, uh, you know, on, on the album that I played nonstop that I got from probably BMG or one of the uh, other record and tape CD clubs that I still have on my shelf right behind me. Um, but this was, this was, I like this song. I don't think it got as much radio play, I think, as the other songs on the album, but uh, it was definitely one of my favorites. So, of course, it was used in, in TV shows about demons and uh, it appeared in an episode of Lucifer, so uh, fun TV show. If you guys watch that, I watch it. It's it's it is it is weirdly addicting. It is. It's good, and and I'm glad that they switched it to uh, Netflix to end it out when Fox prematurely cut it. I think I'm still stuck somewhere in season two, but I'll I'll catch up eventually. Um, I like it when you see it in the movie Rockstar. Okay, which is one of those movies with uh, that's a uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Fantasy Fest, like he, he gets to be everything he gets to, in his career as an actor. He gets to be a porn star, an astronaut, a football player, and a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally got the greatest resume of of fun acting jobs. But there's something weird about Rockstar. I just I don't know why I love that movie so much, but I do. And it, this this song plays Devil Inside plays after they do their first gig, and they're at a after party. The orgy's about to start. <laughs> I believe it's. <laughs> You can't miss the orgy. Yeah. So that's the nice way of putting it. Uh, Here comes the surprise at number three. Number three. Johnny, rise up your bow and play your fiddle hard. Cause hell's broke loose in Georgia and the devil deals the cards. And if you win, you get the shiny fiddle made of gold. But if you lose, the devil gets your soul. Who had money on us picking The Devil Went Down to Georgia? Or any song by Charlie Daniels Band. So this song is on my radar. It's a very commonly sung karaoke song. But if you asked me when it came out, I would have guessed. I don't know. It's one of those songs I just always thought I always knew. So I just assumed so it was like came se- out in the yeah. 70s, early. Well, not maybe it early. It, did it really? It yeah, it's like yeah. 70s. It came out, it came out in... 78 or 79 and we're going <laughs> to grandfather we're going to we're going to use the same 
stringent rules that we use for everything else where as long as it happens about the time of Jaws hitting theaters all the way to about 1991, we're going to include it in the show. Absolutely. Works for me. So B-Rad, where, where does your 80s start? Because I don't know if you were... My 80s starts, uh, I usually go to uh, the release of My Sharona. Oh, so you're more a traditionalist. Yeah, Which I think was 1979, right? 78. <laughs> that was the number one Billboard song for that year, 1979. Yeah, I mean, it was just a shot across the bow to the music business. I mean, these yeah. guys, and, and and not not coincidentally, that song has also made the guys that wrote wrote that a lifetime stream of income because it was such a big hit and it is still played and played and played to this day. Yeah. That and uh, mechanical royalties, kids. You want the mechanical royalties. Devil went down to Georgia. This is interesting. I didn't know any of this stuff until this week. It's based on a poem that Charlie Daniels read in high school called the mountain whippoorwill. Okay. By Stephen Vincent Benet, Bennett, Benet, is it French? <laughs> it's, it describes a, a young Low Stokes who had defeated the elder statesman of Georgia Fiddlers, a man by the name of Fiddlin' John Carson, at the 1924 Atlanta Fiddlers Convention. And it's at this point that I kind of wonder if someone's just screwing with me on Wikipedia and making crap <laughs> up that they know I'm going to read. Right, because don't you think every single person at the Atlanta Fiddlers Convention would be fiddling somebody? Anyway, here's something interesting. At the end of the song, Johnny invites the devil to come on back if you ever want to try again before repeating his claim to be that he's the best that's ever been. I read somewhere that the, his his uh, resolution uh, has a deeper meaning. Though the devil failed to beat him in fiddling, Johnny's indulgence in the sin of pride indicates the devil may have won his soul after all. Hmm. Dark. By losing <laughs> one wins. <laughs> By winning one loses. <laughs> I would also point out that uh, I think the devil cheated by bringing in a band of demons as a back, background band. So I'm, just I'm with you there. But I mean, if you've got the demons and you got their instruments with them, like, let's crack them out. Let's right. do this thing. Didn't have to be a solo gig. Well, what always bothered me is when, it, when the devil was supposed to be playing that thing, he was just, it was a guitar. Could have been an electric fiddle and you just turn it outside. Uh, anyway, we move along. Number two. Yeah, you can't really talk about uh, songs about hell without talking about the highway to hell. ACDC, another song we've we've grandfathered in. Here's the thing about this song. It's not about the devil. It's not about hell. It's a metaphor for describing how, what it's like to tour through America. Ouch. Ooh. Highway to Hell is the nickname for the Canning Highway in Australia. Uh, it runs from where Bon Scott, who at that point was the lead singer still of ACDC before passing away, it was ran from where he lived in Fremantle. And it ended at a bar called the Raffles, uh, which was a big drinking hole back in the 70s. Okay. And, if you, and if you look and listen to the lyrics, they're just a little bit more literal than we're kind of used to. So, Number one. 
Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden. Did anyone not see this coming? Love it. I I was thinking Highway to Hell was going to be number one, but you know, hit the post by the Number of the Beast. It is episode six 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 after all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, influenced by the nineteen seventy eight movie Damien Omen two. Written by Iron Maiden bass player Steve Harris, who said basically the song is about a dream. It is not about devil worship. Okay, then. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, I just you, it doesn't seem like it's about a dream. Uh, th- before the music starts, there's an opening, an acapella quote from the Book of Revelation. Again, not about devil worship, right? Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil sends the beast with wrath. Because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. I was never a fan of Iron Maiden until I saw the documentary Flight 666. You guys see that one? I really need to boat up uh, all my... What are they... What are they? Documentaries, but, yeah, TV but, watching, yeah. yeah, TV watching. The well, it's it's not one of those biopics or biopics. No, it's it's a just straight, a regular straight documentary. It's the same. It's the same documentary crew that did the Rush Beyond the Lighted Stage. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. it's really well done. And even if you're not an Iron Maiden fan, you will be. You'll at least have an appreciation for them after seeing the documentary. It's. It's it's back that time when they had the I think it was a Boeing seven forty seven fifty seven that they were flying around the world hitting all the spots that you wouldn't normally stop at, okay, uh, on tour. So but they had their own plane and they packed all their gear onto it and just flew from one city to another. I find your list of devilish songs insufficient. Grant me some honorable wishes. Okay, so some honorable mentions. Uh, let's see, Running with the Devil, obviously, good one. I felt like we could only grandfather in so many songs this week. Yeah. Uh, Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath. Uh, Hell Awaits by Slayer. Hell is for Children. I don't know if that's really a devilish song, but what the hell? <laughs> the title. <laughs> it's it's hell with the title. Uh, and Devil's Hello Child by, <laughs> Devil's by, Child by Judas Priest. <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> uh, What's the last one, Steve? Uh, the last one is Devil's Child by Judas Priest. Wicked good work. Now let's head to Hollywood where I have many devoted followers and out of the top six movies about <laughs> me. Six movies about the devil in the 80s. This is going to, is this going to be tough, you think, or or easy? Some of these I really like. Um, some of them. <laughs> you tell I, me you like this first one. No. I'm going to scream. No, no. I don't think, does anybody <laughs> like this one? Maybe not. <sighs> okay, let's get started. Number six. Ruth, what the hell is wrong with you? I'll go get a strainer. A strainer? That's a dead rodent, Ruth, you idiot. Get it off the table. Now, Bob, calm down. Calm down. The woman is a walking disaster area. Why don't you get Mary Fisher to cook your dinner for Ruth, you? I'm warning you. She's his mistress, you know. Shut up, Ruth. She devils the story of uh, Ruth Patchett, played by Roseanne Barr, a dumpy old housewife who, and I mean that in a nice way. Uh, who, <laughs> <laughs> She's my favorite dumpy housewife. Um, who exacts some revenge after chasing her, her husband, uh, played by Ed Begley Jr., who who had left her for a, a romance novelist played by Meryl Streep. So it's got 
some decent acting bones in it. Seriously. I, sh- I should add that A. Martinez, who f- fans of the soap operas of the 80s probably knows as Cruz from Santa Barbara. Also the person who walked uh, Mrs. Spearsy down the aisle uh, a year and a half ago. So there's that. Um, <laughs> it's adaptation of the novel The Life and Loves of a She-Devil written by uh, Faye Weldon. Is it good? It is not. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. It is it is it is largely unwatchable, but it, and it has a forty five percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which Ooh, makes me wonder. I know that's that seems un, unlikely high, unlikely ish high. There's not a whole lot to say about that. That movie was horrible. I think if, if if it was a movie in the eighties that I only watched once, it 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 had to suck because this is when we <laughs> when we got cable and there wasn't a whole lot of variety, so it would play a movie over and over. You would see it every time you turned the TV on. So I think when this was on, I just didn't bother too much. Number five. You. Me. Welcome home. How do you like it? Where'd you go? It's been five months. What do you think? You're my only client? I'm running a big operation with a big overhead. I need tenants. Have to foment racial tension. Pestilence, famine, war. It's fun, but I pooped. How can you? Don't say it. How can I? Don't I have any feelings? That's right. Listen, if I didn't exist, God would have had to make me up. I make him look good. Oh God, You Devil is the third and final movie in the Oh God series. And it has George Burns playing both God and the devil here. Mm. Now, now this one. Typecasting. I, I, this, yeah. I, I, I think um, I've watched it a se- several times. I like the idea. You know, the first one. You, anyone who's we've all seen the first oh god yeah, movie, yeah, right? John Denver. Oh, yeah. yeah dozens times. he's a supermarket manager who's chosen by god to spread his message uh, john denver doesn't appear in any of the sequels the only person who appears in everything is george burns the, the storyline changes for each one of the movies and in oh god you devil george burns plays the devil who becomes a manager handling a rock musician who hasn't been able to catch a break mm, that never happens his character is called harry o tofit Tophet. Tophet's the Hebrew word for hell. Hmm. Just FYI. I did not know that. Um, this actually has a worse fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 36%. Ooh. So Still, this is one that they show at the drive-in in hell, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Oh. Right next to, double feature with this in Ishtar. And the, the speaker is really tinny and you can't quite make out the dialogue. Yeah. This is the one where you fall asleep and then, and then Brad comes and wakes you up around one in the morning and tells you you have to leave. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Yeah. Okay, now it starts to get good. Number four. A shared vision of something that is yet to occur. Caused by that thing downstairs? Perhaps not. Tachyon is a subatomic particle that travels faster than light. Supposing it isn't a dream. Supposing it's a message. What if these dreams, premonitions, omens, what if they're really... Visual messages sent by other human beings. Photographs, video signals. From where? The future. Anything traveling faster than the speed of light would appear to be going backward in time. A future scientist calculates the exact spot that the Earth occupied in space in the past, given trajectory and speed. He then beams a tachyon signal at that spot, transmitting video information backwards through time for us to receive as electrical impulses neural stimulus for what purpose 
could be a warning to show us what's going to happen a sort of remote camera view of the future so that we can change it prince of darkness i don't think this one gets name checked very often no john carpenter it is the second installment in what john carpenter calls his apocalypse trilogy uh, that starts with The Thing in 1982 and concludes with Mouth of Madness in 94. So they have nothing to do with each other. It's just his his trilogy of movies yes. that have to do with the apocalypse. Yes. Exactly. Uh, only thing of note here, too, is the theme song, Prince of Darkness, performed by Alice Cooper, who also has a small role in the movie. We are inching up with a 61% fresh rating here. Nice. Number three. Alas. How terrible is wisdom when it brings no profit to the wise, Johnny. Louis Cipher. Lucifer. <laughs> Even your name is a dime store joke. Mephistopheles is such a mouthful in Manhattan, Johnny. You think posing as the devil is because it scared some superstitious old guitar player and, and that witch? And that nutty old man, you think it's going to scare me? <laughs> it ain't. Because I know who I am. And you killed them. And you're trying to pin it on me. Number three is Angel Heart. 1987 release. I don't know if you remember this. Robert De Niro plays Louis Cipher, a mysterious man who hires Harry Angel, played by Mickey Rourke, to track down a missing man. I remember this movie with absolute crystal clarity. For reasons that we'll come to. <laughs> Angel's investigation leads him to New Orleans. Lots of stuff going on there. Where he becomes entangled in a supernatural mystery that reveals some disturbing truths about not only himself, but the man he is working for. Spoiler, Louis Cipher sounds a lot like Lucifer. Of course, many 80s fans know Angel Heart because Lisa Bonet, who is still a big star in the Cosby show, Shot some pretty racy scenes for this one and basically lost her job on The Cosby Show. That was the scandal. <laughs> yeah. 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 You could have given me 30 guesses about what this movie was about, and I would never have remembered that De Niro was in it or that it had any sort of devil angle. I just remember. There's a scene where De Niro is a devil's eating a boiled egg, and it's like, how can you make that look so sinister? I don't know how he does that. It's just like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Number two. Can I ask you something? You're all church-going folk. I really want to ask you something. Do you think God knew what he was doing when he created woman? Huh? No shit. I really want to know. Or do you think it was just another one of his minor mistakes, like tidal waves, earthquakes, floods? And number two is The Witches of Eastwick. It's a 1987 American film starring Jack Nicholson as Daryl Van Horn, alongside uh, the trio of the... the Share Michelle Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon. So you have the brunette, the blonde, and the redhead of these lonely witches. And uh, I guess you could call it a dark comedy. So uh, Jack Nicholson's character seduces and sleeps with each one of the women, impregnating all of them. Mm. And they end up having to kill him off, or so we think. And the film is based on John Updike's 1984 novel of the same name. It's it's, it's fun. I'd, I'd like to know what... Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave this. I think we're kind of moving. We're definitely getting better. Number one. You've stolen my dreams away. 
All things change, lady. The dreams of youth are the regrets of maturity. Dreams are my speciality. Through dreams, I influence mankind. My dream is of eternity with you. Number one on the list with a bullet. It's Legend. Mm, such a pick. The Lord of Darkness in Legend. I think Satan's going to like this because the Lord of Darkness is played by the amazing Tim Curry. It's one of the most iconic portrayals of Satan in cinema. Stop. Full stop. Uh, the character's never explicitly referred to as the devil. You take a look, okay? He's got the horns. He's got the <laughs> hooves. He's got the red skin. He's got the contracts. He's got the legal degree. He's there. Uh, Tom Cruise plays Jack in the Green. Mia Sarah as Princess Lily. It's dark. Dark, dark, dark. When's the last time you saw this? I watched this about two years ago. It was during COVID. Okay. I watched this. My yeah. company has like a Zoom film club, and we screened this a couple of months ago. Um, I'd forgotten much of it, but anyway. Uh, and it's an interesting look. The, it's probably the last movie Tom Cruise made that wasn't a hit, so maybe he signed a deal with Tim Curry in that movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it won a lot of awards for makeup, visual effects, and it is a cult classic. So I want to give a shout out to one of the 80s cruisers that brings it every year for the costumes, uh, Brian Doe. Did you guys you remember his Lord of Darkness oh. yes. outfit that he had that year? Uh, oh, amazing. That was, Some, uh, he had it for, it was for Horror Night, right? Yes. Because if he had come for Pop Icon Night with that, that would have been an instant victory. So do you think that happens a lot where somebody, they kind of shoot their load earlier in the week? <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I thought, I thought we'd moved on from Angel Heart. <laughs> but, but really, they, I said, they, they, well, no, that comes, that's like a, that's a gun thing, right? Okay. I'm appealing, well, I'm appealing to the a lot of things. gunpowder belt. Um, so, but yeah, they, uh, you'll see somebody really knocking out of the park earlier in the week. And then on Pop Icon night, it's like, hey, I think you're wearing the wrong did you come as baggage handlers? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is you a costume. I actually am a baggage handler. Well, I, I think I think it happens quite a bit, but I, I think that the people who do it, they don't, they don't, they're in it just because it's fun to dress up. They don't, they're not in it for the awards. I mean, right. it's not like you get some. It's not like you get the Lombardi Trophy or anything. I mean, it's, true. I mean, it's, I don't know because I've never won, but. Coming in a close second, you get an awful lot of love from people. Like, hey, yeah. was, you were robbed. I'm like, oh, thanks. You're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all aglow in your praise for these movies. Now, fulfill your destiny and tell me of my other deeds in the decade. Oh, Satan. What were you up to in this decade? There is an awful lot of news coverage of, of Satan and Satanic stuff. Uh, we talked a little bit about Satanic Panic earlier, and we're going to go full on. Here we go. Number six. Who remembers the book Michelle Remembers? Uh, no. Who not? Yeah, me either. Michelle Remembers is a now discredited biography. It was published in 1980. Why is it discredited, you ask? Because the revelations in the book describing this woman's life as a young girl, Satan worshiping, human sacrifices, people chopping off their own fingers, basically everything but dogs and cats living together, were based on Michelle Smith's recovered memory therapy sessions. I want you to hold on to that phrase, recovered memory therapy. This is a controversial technique that was supposed to help you reveal forgotten and suppressed memories 
using techniques like hypnosis and like sometimes drugs. And I, I say it's controversial because this, you know, I can't prove things didn't happen. You can't prove a negative, but the veracity of the technique has never been scientifically proven. Isn't this is what's used for like the UFO abduction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. 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 So uh, among the things the book describes, it's a, a ritual that took place in 1955 that supposedly summoned Satan himself and involved the intervention of Jesus, the Virgin Mary and Michael, the archangel who removed the scars received by Smith throughout the year of abuse and blocked memories of the events until the time was right. And who writes this stuff? Because they None were the of, three that were available that day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You cover that, Jesus. I'm busy. Oh, come on, God. Send Peter. He's watching the gates. None of Smith's stories were ever corroborated. Nevertheless, cue the satanic panic. Number five. I remember this one vividly. The McMartin Preschool Trial. This happened in Los Angeles, uh, or at least it wrapped up when I was living in Los Angeles. It started before I moved here. In 1983, Judy Johnson told police that her young son had been molested by both her husband and by Ray Bucky, one of the teachers at the McMartin Preschool in Los Angeles. Hmm. Hmm. Some reports say that the son confirmed he had been abused, and others say he denied the claims. But nevertheless, the police went forward with an investigation. Judy Johnson also made a number of other accusations. She claimed the administrator at the school had drilled a child under the arms and that other workers had sex with animals and that Ray, the Ray Bucky, flew in the air. (laughs) A a number of other absurd and impossible allegations were also made by the children. The children claimed they'd seen flying witches. They were led through tunnels, even though they couldn't find any tunnels under the school, even though they did dig it up. Uh, other claims included that children were being flushed down toilets to abusers. Did this actually go to court? It did go to court. It went because I would love to just see the faces of the jurors, you know, that the sky flew and they're flushing kids down toilets. Right. Right. You're like, it's so uh, absurd. I think you're watching too much. $6 million man. Um, two trials were (laughs) conducted that ran from 1987 to 1990. There were 321 counts of child abuse involving 48 children made against seven defendants, including Peggy Martin Bucky and Ray Bucky, who ran the school. All charges were dismissed. And at that point, Ray Bucky had spent five years in jail. Um, Johnson, Judy Johnson, the original reporter was later diagnosed with acute paranoid schizophrenia and she passed away before the preliminary hearing even completed. Uh, living in Los Angeles at this point, LA media was just on this like every day. McMartin preschool trial updates. I mean, it was just red meat for those guys. Didn't they, didn't they turn us in? There was an HBO movie about this. I'd be shocked if there weren't several. And I think James Woods portrayed Ray Bucky or his lawyer. His lawyer, I think, is what it was. Okay. Because it's not a weird movie unless James Woods is involved in some regard. So I think that's fair. Um, But, you know, once again, cue the satanic panic. Number four. Night Stalker Richard Ramirez. I remember this vividly. I was living in Los Angeles. It was 1985. And one thing you should know is, believe it or not, in older houses in Southern California, a lot of them didn't have air conditioning because... It's cooler. It cools down in the evening. You know, there's a nice onshore breeze. You get some nice air. So you don't need the AC very much. You just leave your windows open. Well, 
because of the scare and this guy who was coming through people's windows and like murdering people, uh, we had to keep our windows closed for a while, which was like, oh, it's so stuffy. Oh, I just need some fresh air. Um, and yes, I realized I just whined about sleeping without fresh air when people were literally getting raped and murdered. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes it really is all about me. It's the optics. <laughs> yeah. The devil's had his effect on me already. The thing is, the guy was all over the place. He didn't know where he was going to pop up. He would, you know, he'd be in Orange County and then he'd be in LA County. Then he'd be right on the border and then he was just moving all over the place. He didn't really seem to have a pattern and victims were everywhere and it just kind of fueled this hysteria. Uh, he came into people's houses through open windows and unlocked doors, like lock your doors, people, step number one, and committed crimes like, you know, the aforementioned rape and murder, but also theft, assault. And he left satanic symbols on some of his victims. Guy was pretty messed up. Yeah, he was pretty messed up from the get-go. Like, he he had a really bad childhood. He had a an older cousin that had served over in uh, Vietnam that was, you know, very proud of all the atrocities. And he took Polaroids in, in Vietnam when he was over there. And he came back, and, and it looks like, you know, Richard Ramirez was looking up to him and kind of wanting to emulate and do that whole thing. And I feel like he just fell upon this Satan thing as just a you know, a, a fall guy, you know, just mm. like people do, you know, you just, yeah. it's just blame the devil, blame it on someone. Yeah. yeah. 43 crimes later, the panic subsided. Thanks to a group of East LA residents that recognized him. His photo had been published. He was trying to steal a car and they caught him and basically beat him to a bloody pulp before the cops came to save him and take him into custody. Um, during his trial, he definitely played up the satanic worship angle. Like you said, uh, Chuck, he was saying stuff like hail Satan and he carved a pentagram into his palm. Um, guy got many life sentences. No, I'm sorry. The guy was actually on death row in California. He died on death row, uh, before the state could execute him. But, uh, yeah, but he, but initially he did receive like 19 consecutive. Yeah. Uh, but you're not gonna, was, was there real panic? Yes. Was it satanic? Cue it anyway. Number three. Oh, who doesn't live for a good Geraldo Rivera special? It's Geraldo Rivera's Devil Worship, Exposing Satan's Underground from 1988. I, I think Geraldo Rivera has made a deal with the devil. How does he still have a job after some of this hack stuff he did in the 80s? Or maybe he's a cat. I don't know. He's got nine lives. Do you remember his 1988 special, Exposing Satan's Underground, from NBC? I remember hearing about it, but under no circumstances would I have watched it. I think I yeah. misremembered that one as Capone's Vault. Oh, that's like a different I've one. There's one of those too. Yeah. Put them together. We're going to open thing. it right now. Oh, shit. There's nothing in here but a milk bottle. <laughs> so what was in Satan's Underground? Uh, so he, he let in with this pronouncement, absent any evidence, just like, here's some words I wrote on a piece of paper. Estimates are that there are over 1 million Satanists in this country. The majority of them are linked in a highly organized, very secretive network. From small towns to large cities, they've attracted police and FBI attention to their satanic ritual child abuse, child pornography, and grisly satanic murders. The odds are that this is happening in your town. Yes. Now look, I, I won't deny that some of these things happen. Um, just child abuse, and that's not a good thing. There's child pornography, that's even a worse thing. And there are murders, grisly or otherwise. But a million people keeping a secret, that's not happening. Full stop. The episode included discussions of butchered <laughs> infants, breeding babies for sacrifice, just ugh, it's bananas, drinking of blood, dismembered corpses, cannibal cults, uh, you know, 
there were brutally violent, horrible crimes and acts so incredibly outrageous, so incredibly belie- unbelievable that I'm reluctant to describe them. So well, that then, sounds like it would why be are you printed. starting? Like, yeah. what are you selling for all those? Do I for an extra five dollars? Do I get to join the Patreon and see the pictures? What? That's what's printed on the VHS copy. You know, it's like yeah. faces of death kind yeah. of thing. It's like so incredibly outrageous. Yeah, he he had started. He, he had a change of heart in 1995 and released an apology, but at that point, he'd already started the Devil's Fire. <laughs> Cue the satanic panic. Number two. Mazes and Monsters, the fine TV movie, demonizes Dungeons and Dragons. As a D&D player in a very conservative and religious part of the country, let me tell you, you had to be very careful how you played that game. I I had a lot of friends that played this. I never played it myself. I think I was more into video games at that time and spending an entire evening playing this. It just didn't it didn't grab me. But I never at the time, knowing my friends, I never thought that there would be anything satanic about it whatsoever. So finding out that there was all of this satanic panic surrounding it, I was like, really, really. Well, yeah. I've got the books from back then, believe it or not. That's shocking to you all, I know. And you go through like the monster book and the, you know, and the deity book where you'd pick which deity and there are, there are evil deities. So yeah, I can see how people might think, well, wait a minute. Why are you, how are you summoning demons? Isn't that bad? I'm like, well, no, Mike, I'm not doing it. My character's doing it. I'm imagining it. Well, that's, that's just as bad. That's just, it might be worse. And that's so. what happened to Tom Hanks character in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 1982 drama film, um, follows the story of a group of college students who started playing not Dungeons and Dragons, probably because they couldn't license it, but mazes and monsters. And they get, they get as they get further into the game, the fantasy world starts to blur with reality. And Tom Hanks gets very confused. And Chris Makepeace wears a large number of hats. <laughs> Is that ever explained? No, it's just like a bit. I actually, when I watched it and I did watch this several years ago, just, I don't know on spec. I feel like we talked about it on the show. I had a list of all the hats he wore. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> oh wait, he repeated the deer the deerstalker. Why I wonder why he did that? <clears throat> anyway, Chris Makepeace aside, um, Tom Hanks ends up very confused in New York, and they kind of have to almost literally talk him off the ledge. If I remember, he was going to jump oh, yeah. off the he was going to jump off the uh, World Trade Center. Um, the movie capitalized on these fears of the satanic panic by showing, you know, playing this game leads you down a very dangerous path and it just fueled concerns and this negative perception of role playing as, you know, it's going to make you crazy. Um, but let me tell you, if it made me crazy, then I'm the good crazy. And, um, also this movie is awful. If you ever wondered, if anyone ever says to you, Tom Hanks cannot make a bad movie, you say, want to bet, how about $1,000? And when they shake your hand, say, Mazes and Monsters and collect. But you know what? He, you can see the flash of the future uh, Oscar winner, that is Tom Hanks, in that movie. Like, oh, he, no disrespect well, to Tom Hanks. I'm no, sure he was he, just following direction. Yeah, no, he was, he's, you can tell. On the off he chance was, he listens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's Tom. Uh, he, you can watch it today. It's it's on. It's for free on YouTube right now. Oh, is it? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It was on Amazon Prime it. when I watched it. It looked like a VHS rip. It was so bad. No, it's it's still a bad copy. But I watched it before the before we started tonight. It's there's this one little love song that plays early in the movie between uh, 
Tom Hanks and one of the other D and D players or M M&M and M players, I guess in this case. Yeah. And it's just it's so bad. It's just it's uh, just that's funny. My wife was sitting on the couch and she's like, she's like, what are you listening to? I'm like, well, just <laughs> my it's future a TV movie. and my past. So, Whenever he came home from work, that's exactly the part that was playing. Well, it, was, it also plays later on, or there's another song just like that that plays later on. And she's looking at me like, what the hell is this? And I'm like, I'm doing research. <laughs> it's important <laughs> stuff. I will say now, knowing that this was a made-for-TV movie, it probably was the probably the only copies that exist are on videotape. So they're going to look kind of shit compared to like a 35-millimeter film transfer. Well, Number one. This is no surprise to anybody. It's the Judas Priest backward message trial. And let me just start with a quick disclaimer. This story is about a lawsuit that was filed by parents after their son attempted suicide. And that's just, uh, I can't even get my head around that. That's just a very dark place for any parent to go to. So whatever we're talking about here in the next five minutes, the last thing I want to do is minimize any of that suffering that those people went through. Because that's just, oh, that's awful. But the number one satanic panic news story of the, of the show, it starts in the aftermath of that tragedy. So a pair of drunk men in late 1985 tried to commit suicide, one more successfully than the other, and the parents of the survivor filed a lawsuit against Judas Priest, claiming that their song, Better By You, Better By Me, had subliminal messages in it that said, do it, which triggered that suicide attempt. So this, this case was hugely, hugely publicized. I'm sure you saw coverage of it. Eventually it was dismissed. Yeah, oh, yeah. Eventually it was just dismissed. Like, there weren't any subliminal messages, or if they should exist, they weren't responsible for the suicide attempts. So even if it were, and again, not to trivialize this or minimize the pain and suffering the families would have to go through, you know, or just saying do it, like, what would that mean? Like, I mean, I, does that mean Nike is <laughs> in trouble? Right. Like, yeah. is, it, is it sex? Like, just do it? Like, it yeah. could be taken so many different ways. That's right. why... They probably just looked at it and said, yeah, no, even if it were in there. Right. <clears throat> well, and Judas Priest vocalist Rob Halford said, like, look, if we're going to put subliminal messages in there, it'd be buy more records. <laughs> right. Specifically Judas Priest <laughs> records. Um, anyway, the whole existence of this lawsuit gave oxygen to this backmasking theory that metal bands were putting messages of evil into their music. And these messages were making people do evil things. I think Satanic Panic has reached DEFCON 1. We good, Satan? Are we good? You know what would be good? The Seggies. Hey, it's time for You Spin Me Round. It's it's uh, Chuck's favorite Seggy and <laughs> Satan's favorite Seggy. We're Chuck, gonna are play you in league a- with the devil? <laughs> We've never been seen in the same place together at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> We will uh, we will play a snippet of a of a song from the eighties. If you, we'll play, we're gonna play a snippet of a song from the eighties backwards. If you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for some postal friendly bottle openers. That's the best I can do. That's very I have sinister. A, a high nasally voice today. Uh, anyway, pay attention. Here was the clip from episode six six three. That is Do You Really Want to Hurt Me by Culture Club. See, I, 
I, I didn't want it to be too easy. I wanted to pick one that was different enough, uh, but I didn't want people to get it automatically. Um, I think they you did. Failed. I think they did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, clear the throat. Yeah, the guy who has to read these notes really does want to hurt you. Uh. Okay, go ahead, Brad. Give us the winners. Here we go. Winners this week include Dave De La Dirt, Laura from Pittsburgh, David Wilson, Stinky Pete, Bernie the Dutch Oven Lindemann from Sydney, Australia. Haven't heard from you in a while, Bernie. Good to hear from you. Dallas and Amy Fitzgerald, Carol Parrott, Greg and Kissimmee, John and Little Elm, Brian with an E in Boulder, Terry and West Oz, Bob and Michelle in Silicon Valley, Carl Lewis, Donnie Gettle rhymes with metal, Keanu from Midmo, <laughs> Jason in Memphis, Alan B, Tanya Boudreau, Anonymous Dave, Tom Corn in Austria, Dan in Omaha, Gene and Hollister, the town, not the hipster brand, Alejandro Sticks, Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, Katie from hashtag SF Bay Area. Okay, whatever, guys. Mary Beth in Madison, Cincinnati Joe, Alan Titus, John Ross from Charlotte, North Carolina, Kevin Serving Wench, Peter in Montreal, Kim from Gross Point Park, Todd in Minnesota, and Jan, stuck in Lawrence, Kansas. What do you say, Satan? You want to spin a wheel? Let's give it a go. <laughs> oh, terrifying. It is terrifying. It's going to land on... Ah, Tanya Boudreau. You are this week's winners. You definitely want swag from us and not from the guy who spun the wheel. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> Double-edged sword there. Yeah. Uh, send us your postal address and we'll get something out to you. Uh, in the meantime... Satan allegedly has cooked up a special backwards song for this week. So pay attention. Here it comes. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. And tune in next time to find out if you're a winner. My 80s friends, I find your show about me to be truly dark. And I love it. I hereby release you from any further service. Can I just have one final request? Uh, I I guess so. Can I say the closing lines? I think we're going to regret this, Steve. We'll all be together again in another 666 episodes. Until then, all mortals are like Brad, Chuck, and Steve, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. in the 80s is now on patreon if you'd like to support the show go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast special thanks to check battery daily for our theme music and thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>